Chapter Thirty Nine, Part One of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell, Section Eighty Eight, Chapter Thirty Nine, Laws Which Regulate the Geographical Distribution of Species. Continued, Part One geographical distribution and migration of fish of testacea of zoophytes distribution of insects migratory instincts of some species certain types characterize particular countries their means of dissemination geographical distribution and diffusion of man speculations as to the birthplace of the human species progress of human population drifting of canoes to vast distances on the involuntary influence of man in extending the range of many other species geographical distribution and migrations of fish although we are less acquainted with the habitations of marine animals than with the grouping of the terrestrial species before described, yet it is well ascertained that their distribution is governed by the same general laws. The testimony borne by Messrs. Perron and Lesseur to this important fact is remarkably strong. These eminent naturalists, after collecting and describing many thousands of species of marine animals, which they brought to Europe from the southern hemisphere, insist most emphatically on their distinctness from those north of the equator. And this remark they extend to animals of all classes, from those of a more simple to those of a more complex organization, from the sponges and medusae to the cetacea. Among all those which we have been able to examine, say they, with our own eyes, or with regard to which it has appeared to us possible to pronounce with certainty, there is not a single animal of the southern regions which is not distinguished by essential characters from the analogous species in the northern seas. On comparing the freshwater fish of Europe and North America, Sir John Richardson remarks that the only species which is unequivocally common to the two continents is the pike, Essox lucius, and it is curious that this fish is unknown to the westward of the Rocky Mountains, the very coast which approaches nearest to the old continent. According to the same author, the genera of freshwater fish in China agree closely with those of the peninsula of India, but the species are not the same. As in the distribution, he adds, of marine fish, the interposition of a continent stretching from the tropics far into the temperate or colder parts of the ocean separate different ichthyological groups. So with respect to the freshwater species, the intrusion of arms of the sea running far to the northwards, or the interposition of a lofty mountain chain, effects the same thing. 
the freshwater fish of the Cape of Good Hope and the South American ones, are different from those of India and China, etc. Cuvier and Valenciennes, in their Histoire des Poissons, observe that very few species of fish cross the Atlantic. Although their statement is correct, it is found that a great many species are common to the opposite sides of the Indian Ocean, inhabiting alike the Red Sea, the eastern coast of Africa, Madagascar, the Mauritius, the Indian Ocean, the southern seas of China, the Malay Archipelago, the northern coasts of Australia, and the whole of Polynesia. This very wide diffusion, says Sir J. Richardson, may have been promoted by chains of islands running east and west, which are wanting in the deep Atlantic. An archipelago extending far in longitude favors the migration of fish by multiplying the places of deposit for spawn along the shores of islands, and on intervening coral banks, and in such places also fish find their appropriate food. The flying fish are found, some stragglers excepted, only between the tropics. In receding from the line, they never approach a higher latitude than the 40th parallel. The course of the Gulf Stream, however, and the warmth of its water, enable some tropical fish to extend their habitations far into the temperate zone. Thus, the chaetodons, which abound in the seas of hot climates, are found among the Bermudas, on the 32nd parallel, where they are preserved in basins enclosed from the sea, as an important article of food for the garrison and inhabitants. Other fish, following the direction of the same great current, range from the coast of Brazil to the banks of Newfoundland. All are aware that there are certain fish of passage which have their periodical migrations, like some tribes of birds. The salmon, towards the season of spawning, ascends the rivers for hundreds of miles, leaping up the cataracts which it meets in its course, and then retreats again into the depths of the ocean. The herring and the haddock, after frequenting certain shores in vast shoals for a series of years, desert them again and resort to other stations followed by the species which prey on them. Eels are said to descend into the sea for the purpose of producing their young, which are seen returning into the fresh water by myriads, extremely small in size, but possessing the power of surmounting every obstacle which occurs in the course of a river, by applying their slimy and glutinous bodies to the surface of rocks, or the gates of a lock, even when dry, and so climbing over it. Before the year 1800, there were no eels in Lake Vanner, the largest inland lake in Sweden, which discharges its waters by the celebrated cataracts of Trollhattan. But I am informed by Professor Nilsson that since the canal was opened, uniting the river Gotha with the lake by a series of nine locks, each of great height, eels have been observed in abundance in the lake. 
It appears, therefore, that though they were unable to ascend the falls, they have made their way by the locks, by which, in a very short space of difference of level of 114 feet, is overcome. Gmelin says that the Ansares, wild geese, ducks, and others, subsist in their migrations on the spawn of fish, and that oftentimes, when they void the spawn, two or three days afterwards the eggs retain their vitality unimpaired. When there are many disconnected freshwater lakes in a mountainous region, at various elevations, each remote from the other, it has often been deemed inconceivable how they could all become stocked with fish from one common source. But it has been suggested that the minute eggs of these animals may sometimes be entangled in the feathers of waterfowl. These, when alight to wash and plume themselves in the water, may often unconsciously contribute to propagate swarms of fish, which, in due season, will supply them with food. Some of the water beetles also, as the Dytisidae, are amphibious, and in the evening quit their lakes and pools, and, flying in the air, transport the minute ova of fishes to distant waters. In this manner some naturalists account for the fry of fish, appearing occasionally in small pools caused by heavy rains. But the showers of small fish, stated in so many accounts to have fallen from the atmosphere, require further investigation. Geographical Distribution and Migrations of Testacea The Testacea, of which so great a variety of species occurs in the sea, are a class of animals of peculiar importance to the geologist, because their remains are found in strata of all ages, and generally in a higher state of preservation than those of other organic beings. Climate has a decided influence on the geographical distribution of species in this class. But as there is much greater uniformity of temperature in the waters of the ocean than in the atmosphere which invests the land, the diffusion of marine mollusks is on the whole more extensive. Some forms attain their fullest development in warm latitudes, and are often exclusively confined to the torrid zone as Nautilus, Harpa, Terebellum, Pyramidella, Delphinula, Aspergillum, Tridacna, Cuculea, Crassitella, Corbus, Perna, and Plicatula. Other forms are limited to one region of the sea, as the Trigonia to parts of Australia, and the Concolepas to the western coast of South America. The marine species inhabiting the ocean, on the opposite sides of the narrow isthmus of Panama, are found to differ almost entirely, as we might have anticipated, since a West Indian mollusk cannot enter the Pacific without coasting round South America, and passing through the inclement climate of Cape Horn. The continuity of the existing lines of continent from north to south prevents any one species from belting the globe, or from following the direction of the isothermal lines. Currents also flowing permanently in certain directions, 
and the influx at certain points of great bodies of fresh water limit the extension of many species those which love deep water are arrested by shoals others fitted for shallow seas cannot migrate across unfathomable abysses the nature also of the ground has an important influence on the testaceous fauna both on the land and beneath the waters certain species prefer a sandy others a gravelly and some a muddy sea bottom on the land limestone is of all rocks the most favorable to the number and propagation of species of the genera helix Clausilia, Belemus, and others. Professor E. Forbes has shown as the result of his labors in dredging the Aegean Sea that there are eight well-marked regions of depth, each characterized by its peculiar testaceous fauna. The first of these, called the littoral zone, extends to a depth of two fathoms only, but this narrow belt is inhabited by more than 100 species. The second region, of which 10 fathoms is the inferior limit, is almost equally populous, and a copious list of species is given as characteristic of each region down to the seventh, which lies between the depths of 80 and 105 fathoms. All the inhabited space below this being included in the eighth province, where no less than sixty-five species of testacea have been taken. The majority of the shells in this lowest zone are white or transparent. Only two species of mollusca are common to all the eight regions, namely Archilactea and Cerithium lima. Great Range of some provinces and species. In Europe, conchologists distinguish between the Arctic fauna, the southern boundary of which corresponds with the isothermal line at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, and the Celtic, which, commencing with that limit as its northern frontier, extends southward to the mouth of the English Channel and Cape Finisterre in France. From that point begins the Lusitanian fauna, which, according to the recent observations of Mr. Andrew, 1852, ranges to the Canary Islands. The Mediterranean province is distinct from all those above enumerated, although it has some species in common with each. The Indo-Pacific region is by far the most extensive of all. It reaches from the Red Sea and the eastern coast of Africa, to the Indian archipelago and adjoining parts of the Pacific Ocean. To the geologist, it furnishes a fact of no small interest by teaching us that one group of living species of mollusca may prevail throughout an area exceeding in magnitude the utmost limits we can as yet assign to any assemblage of contemporaneous fossil species. Mr. Cumming obtained more than a hundred species of shells from the eastern coast of Africa, identical with those collected by himself at the Philippines and in the eastern coral islands of the Pacific Ocean, a distance equal to that from pole to pole. Certain species of the genus Ianthina have a very wide range, 
being common to seas north and south of the equator they are all provided with a beautifully contrived float which renders them buoyant facilitating their dispersion and enabling them to become active agents in disseminating other species captain king took a specimen of ianthina fragilis alive a little north of the equator so loaded with barnacles pentel asmus and their ova that the upper part of its shell was invisible the rock whelk purpura lapilis a well-known british univalve inhabits both the north atlantic and north pacific helix putris Socinia putris so common in europe where it reaches from norway to italy is also said to occur in the united states and in newfoundland as this animal inhabits constantly the borders of pools and streams where there is much moisture it is not impossible that different waterfowl have been the agents of spreading some of its minute eggs which may have been entangled in their feathers the freshwater snail limnius palustris so abundant in english ponds ranges uninterruptedly from europe to cashmere and thence to the eastern parts of asia helix aspersa one of the commonest of our larger land shells is found in st helena and other distant countries some conchologists have conjectured that it was accidentally imported into st helena in some ship for it is an eatable species and these animals are capable of retaining life during long voyages without air or nourishment perhaps no species has a better claim to be called cosmopolite than one of our british bivalves saxicava rugosa it is spread all over the north polar seas and ranges in one direction through europe to senegal occurring on both sides of the atlantic while in another it finds its way into the north pacific and thence to the indian ocean nor do its migrations cease until it reaches the australian seas a british brachiopod named terra bratula caput serpentis is common according to professor e forbes to both sides of the north atlantic and to the south african and chinese seas confined range of other species mr lowe in a memoir published in the cambridge transactions in eighteen thirty four enumerates seventy one species of land mollusca collected by him in the islands of madeira and porto santo sixty of which belong to the genus helix alone including as subgenera bolemus and acatina and excluding vitrina and clausilia forty-four of these are new it is remarkable that very few of the above-mentioned species are common to the neighboring archipelago of the canaries but it is a still more striking fact that of the sixty species of the three genera above mentioned thirty-one are natives of porto santo whereas in madeira which contains ten times the superficies 
were found but twenty-nine. Of these, only four were common to the two islands, which are separated by a distance of only twelve leagues, and two even of these four, namely Helix, Rhodostoma, and H. Ventrosa, are species of general diffusion, common to Madeira, the Canaries, and the south of Europe. The confined range of these mollusks may easily be explained, if we admit that species have only one birthplace, and the only problem to be solved would relate to the exceptions, to account for the dissemination of some species throughout several islands and the European continent. May not the eggs, when washed into the sea by the undermining of cliffs or blown by a storm from the land, float uninjured to a distant shore? Their mode of diffusion. Notwithstanding the proverbial slow motion of snails and mollusks in general, and although many aquatic species adhere constantly to the same rock for their whole lives, they are by no means destitute of provision for disseminating themselves rapidly over a wide area. Some mollusca, says Professor E. Forbes, migrate in their larva state, for all of them undergo a metamorphosis either in the egg or out of the egg. The gasteropoda commence life under the form of a small spiral shell, and an animal furnished with ciliated wings, or lobes, like a pteropod, by means of which it can swim freely, and in this form can migrate with ease through the sea. We are accustomed to associate in our minds the idea of the greatest locomotive powers with the most mature and perfect state of each species of invertebrate animal, especially when they undergo a series of transformations. But in all the mollusca, the reverse is true. The young fry of the cockle, for example, cardium, possesses, when young or in the larva state, an apparatus which enables them both to swim and to be carried along easily by a marine current. These small bodies here represented, which bear a considerable resemblance to the fry of the univalve, or gasteropodus shells above mentioned, are so minute at first as to be just visible to the naked eye. They begin to move about from the moment they are hatched by means of the long cilia placed on the edges of the locomotive disc or velum. This disc shrinks up as they increase in size and gradually disappears, no trace of it being visible in the perfect animal. Some species of shell-bearing mollusca lay their eggs in a sponge-like nidus, wherein the young remain enveloped for a time after their birth and this buoyant substance floats far and wide as readily as seaweed. The young of other viviparous tribes are often borne along entangled in seaweed. Sometimes they are so light that, like grains of sand, they can be easily moved by currents. Balany and serpulae are sometimes found adhering to floating coconuts, and even to fragments of pumice. In rivers and lakes, on the other hand, aquatic univalves usually attach their eggs to leaves and sticks which have fallen into the water, and which are liable to be swept away during floods, from tributaries 
to the main streams, and from thence to all parts of the same basins. Particular species may thus migrate during one season from the headwaters of the Mississippi or any other great river to countries bordering the sea, at the distance of many thousand miles. An illustration of the mode of attachment of these eggs will be seen in the annexed cut, figure 100. The habit of some testacea, to adhere to floating wood, is proved by their fixing themselves to the bottoms of ships. By this mode of conveyance, Mytilus polymorphus, previously known only in the Danube and Volga, may have been brought to the commercial docks in the Thames, and to Hamburg, where the species is now domiciled. But Mr. Gray suggests that, as the animal is known to have the faculty of living for a very long time out of water, it is more probable that it was brought in Russian timber, than borne uninjured through the salt water at the bottom of a vessel. A lobster, Astacus marinus, was lately taken alive, covered with living mussels, Mytilus edulis, and a large female crab, Cancer pagarus, covered with oysters, and bearing also Anomia aphipium and actinae, was taken in April 1832 off the English coast. The oysters, seven in number, include individuals of six years' growth, and the two largest are four inches long and three inches and a half broad. Both the crab and the oysters were seen alive by Mr. Robert Brown. From this example we learn the manner in which oysters may be diffused over every part of the sea where the crab wanders, and if they are at length carried to a spot where there is nothing but fine mud, the foundation of a new oyster bank may be laid on the death of the crab. In this instance, the oysters survived the crab many days, and were killed at last only by long exposure to the air. Geographical Distribution and Migrations of Zoophytes Zoophytes are very imperfectly known, but there can be little doubt that each maritime region possesses species peculiar to itself. The madre pores, or lamelliferous polyparia, are found in their fullest development only in the tropical seas of Polynesia and the East and West Indies and this family is represented only by a few species in our seas. The zoophytes of the Mediterranean, according to Ehrenberg, differ almost entirely from those of the Red Sea, although only 70 miles distant. Out of 120 species of anthrozoa, only two are common to both seas. Peyron and Lesseur, after studying the Holothuriae, Medusae, and other cogeners of delicate and changeable forms, came to the conclusion that each kind has its place of residence determined by the temperature necessary to support its existence. Thus, for example, they found the abode of Pyrosoma atlantica to be confined to one particular region of the Atlantic Ocean. Let us now inquire how the transportation of zoophytes from one part of the globe to another is effected. Many of them, as in the families Flustra and Sertularia, attach themselves to seaweed and are occasionally drifted along with it. 
many fix themselves to the shells of mollusca and are thus borne along by them to short distances others like some species of sea pens float about in the ocean and are usually believed to possess powers of spontaneous motion but the most frequent mode of transportation consists in the buoyancy of their eggs or certain small vesicles which are detached and are capable of becoming the foundation of a new colony these gems as they are called have in many instances a locomotive power of their own by which they proceed in a determinate direction for several days after separation from the parent they are propelled by means of numerous short threads or ciliae which are in constant and rapid vibration and when thus supported in the water they may be borne along by currents to a great distance that some zoophytes adhere to floating bodies is proved by their being found attached to the bottoms of ships like certain testacea before alluded to geographical distribution and migration of insects before i conclude this sketch of the manner in which the habitable parts of the earth are shared out among particular assemblages of organic beings i must offer a few remarks on insects which by their numbers and the variety of their powers and instincts exert a prodigious influence in the economy of animate nature as a large portion of these minute creatures are strictly dependent for their subsistence on certain species of vegetables the entomological provinces must coincide in considerable degree with the botanical all the insects say the trail brought from the eastern parts of asia and china whatever be their latitude and temperature are distinct from those of europe and of africa the insects of the united states although often approaching very close to our own are with very few exceptions specifically distinguishable by some characters in south america the equinoctial lands of new granada and peru on the one side and of guiana on the other contain for the most part distinct groups the andes forming the division and interposing a narrow line of severe cold between climates otherwise very similar migratory instincts nearly all the insects of the united states and canada differ specifically from the european while those of greenland appear to be in a great measure identical with our own some insects are very local while a few on the contrary are common to remote countries between which the torrid zone and the ocean intervene thus our painted lady butterfly vanessa cardui reappears at the cape of good hope and in new holland and japan with scarcely a varying streak the same species is said to be one of the few insects which are universally dispersed over the earth being found in Europe, Asia, Africa, and America. And its wide range is the more interesting because it seems explained by its migratory instinct, seconded, no doubt, by a capacity enjoyed by few species of enduring a great diversity of temperature. A vast swarm of this species, 
forming a column from ten to fifteen feet broad, was a few years since observed in the Canton de Vaud. They traversed the country with great rapidity from north to south, all flying onwards in regular order, close together, and not turning from their course on the approach of other objects. Professor Bonnelli of Turin observed in March of the same year a similar swarm of the same species also directing their flight from north to south in Piedmont in such immense numbers that at night the flowers were literally covered with them. They had been traced from Coney, Racone, Susa, etc., a similar flight at the end of the last century is recorded by M. Louche in the memoirs of the Academy of Turin. The fact is the more worthy of notice, because the caterpillars of this butterfly are not gregarious, but solitary from the moment that they are hatched, and this instinct remains dormant, while generation after generation passes away till it suddenly displays itself in full energy when their numbers happen to be in excess. Not only peculiar species, but certain types, distinguish particular countries, and there are groups, observes Kirby, which represent each other in distant regions, whether in their form, their functions, or in both. Thus the honey and wax of Europe, Asia, and Africa are in each case prepared by bees congenerous with our common hive bee, while in America this genus is nowhere indigenous, but is replaced by melipona, trigona, and euglosa, and in New Holland by a still different but undescribed type. The European bee, Apis mellifica, although not a native of the New World, is now established both in North and South America. It was introduced into the United States by some of the early settlers, and has since overspread the vast forests of the interior, building hives in the decayed trunks of trees. The Indians, says Irving, consider them as the harbinger of the white man, as the buffalo is of the red man and say that in proportion as the bee advances, the Indian and the buffalo retire. It is said, continues the same writer, that the wild bee is seldom to be met with at any great distance from the frontier, and that they have always been the heralds of civilization, preceding it as it advanced from the Atlantic borders. Some of the ancient settlers of the West even pretend to give the very year when the honeybee first crossed the Mississippi. The same species is now also naturalized in Van Diemen's land and New Zealand. As almost all insects are winged, they can readily spread themselves wherever their progress is not opposed by uncongenial climates, or by seas, mountains, and other physical impediments. And these barriers they can sometimes surmount by abandoning themselves to violent winds, which, as I have before stated, when speaking of the dispersion of seeds, may in a few hours carry them to very considerable distances. On the Andes, some sphinxes and flies have been observed by Humboldt 
at the height of nineteen thousand one hundred and eighty feet above the sea and which appear to him to have been involuntarily carried into these regions by ascending currents of air white mentions a remarkable shower of aphids which seem to have emigrated with an east wind from the great hop plantations of kent and sussex and blackened the shrubs and vegetables where they alighted at selborne spreading at the same time in great clouds all along the vale from farnham to alton these aphids are sometimes accompanied by vast numbers of the common ladybird cochinella septumpunctata which feed upon them it is remarkable says kirby that many of the insects which are occasionally observed to emigrate as for instance the libellulae cochinellae caribi chicadi etc are not usually social insects but seem to congregate like swallows merely for the purpose of emigration here therefore we have an example of an instinct developing itself on certain rare emergencies causing unsocial species to become gregarious and to venture sometimes even to cross the ocean the armies of locusts which darken the air in africa and traverse the globe from turkey to our southern counties in england are well known to all when the western gales sweep over the pampas they bear along with them myriads of insects of various kinds as a proof of the manner in which species may be thus diffused i may mention that when the creole frigate was lying in the outer roads off buenos aires in eighteen nineteen at the distance of six miles from the land her decks and rigging were suddenly covered by thousands of flies and grains of sand the sides of the vessel had just received a fresh coat of paint to which the insects adhered in such numbers as to spot and disfigure the vessel and to render it necessary partially to renew the paint captain w h smith was obliged to repaint his vessel the adventure in the mediterranean from the same cause he was on his way from malta to tripoli when a southern wind blowing from the coast of africa then one hundred miles distant drove such myriads of flies upon the fresh paint that not the smallest point was left unoccupied by insects to the southward of the river plate off cape st antonio and at the distance of fifty miles from land several large dragonflies alighted on the adventure frigate during captain king's late expedition to the straits of magellan if the wind abates when insects are thus crossing the sea the most delicate species are not necessarily drowned for many can repose without sinking on the water the slender long-leaded tipulae having been seen standing on the surface of the sea when driven out far from our coast and took wing immediately on being approached exotic beetles are sometimes thrown on our shore which revive after having been long drenched in sea-water and the periodical appearance of some conspicuous butterflies among us after being unseen some for five others for fifty years has been ascribed not without probability to the agency of the winds inundations of rivers 
observes Kirby, if they happen at any season except in the depths of winter, always carry down a number of insects, floating on the surface of bits of stick, weeds, etc., so that when the waters subside, the entomologist may generally reap a plentiful harvest. In the dissemination, moreover, of these minute beings, as in that of plants, the larger animals play their part. Insects are, in numberless instances, borne along in the coats of animals, or the feathers of birds, and the eggs of some species are capable, like seeds, of resisting the digestive powers of the stomach, and, after they are swallowed with herbage, may be ejected again unharmed in the dung. End of section 88